Lord and let's just pray. Father, with the songwriter as we sang in that long last song this morning, I want to say we love you, Lord. Personally, I want to say, as I've said many times, Jesus, I love you. And as the song goes on to say, I give my life to honor this, the love of Christ. Lord, one of the things we read quickly and we understand fully as we see in the Gospels, but especially in the book of Acts, and as Paul picks up in 1 Corinthians 13, and John picks up in his letters, the church is to be known by our love. And so, Lord, as we go into this time of looking at your word and understanding what you have said to us, I pray that you would give us a new understanding. More importantly, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live abiding in your love. Change our actions as much as you change our minds so that we would truly be fulfilling the scripture that you have given us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Paul. John 15, verse 9 to 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you will love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone may lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Paul. Third century African church father, Tertullian of Carthage, says his conversion to Christianity was not due to any great arguments that he had heard from Christians, kind of apologetics where people were defending the faith and saying this is how you should be, this is how you should live, this is what you should do. Rather, as in his own words, he could find a counterpoint to everything that Christians had said to him at that point in time. What really impressed him most was that they demonstrated something that I didn't have, he says. The thing that converted me to Christianity 
was the way they loved each other. The way they loved each other. Wow! And it is wild because if we think about it, the African church had understood the very command of Jesus and had lived it in front of Tertullian to the point of him being so actually taken in by what he saw, desired it, and then embraced the faith. Wasn't the arguments, wasn't the great whatever we would say as the church we do, it was simply that he saw within the church love being actually shown, and that convinced him that he wanted to follow this Christ, and therefore he was converted. But before we unpack John 15, let us first understand some background really in terms of this gospel. So in this historical biography, John, who was one of Jesus' disciples, writes to second-generation Christians and non-Christians in the region of Ephesus. Today's Asia Minor, if you will, if you want to understand geographically where that sits. In the main, the gospel focuses on Jesus, who as the Son of God works many signs. And these signs were recorded by John so that anyone may believe that Jesus is both the promised Christ, Messiah, and the Son of God. And by believing, you will actually have eternal life based on his death and resurrection. Specifically, in chapter 15, Jesus is in Jerusalem speaking privately with his disciples at that point in time as part of Passion Week. We say that that's from about John 13, chapter 13, all the way to chapter 17. He would soon be tried, nailed to a cross, and then resurrected from the dead. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Angie. In Jesus' farewell discourse, he speaks about being the true vine, and he also says that his followers through time are the branches. And so Christ expects us to bear fruit in our lives and mission to the glory of the Father. And then this is followed by Jesus' discourse on love, which we are actually going to be focusing on today. And so in verse 9 to 17, it reveals a relationship between the Father and the Son. The Father-Son relationship is set forth as a model and please hear me today, it's a model for you and I in terms of as we look at Jesus' relationship with the disciples. It's not put in the scripture just for no reason. The way that the son refers to and relates to his father, the two of them work together, and the way that the son actually then relates to the disciples is given to you and I as an example of how we are to live, how we are to behave, how we are to think in this day and age. But what kind of Trinitarian relationship is this really? This is where I would say if we're on TV, let's take an ad break. <laughs> we're not on TV. Could do it in radio too, I suppose. What kind of Trinitarian relationship is this? Well, John sees them as at work together. Together they want both quality and quantity in the lives of their followers. The same thing for you and I today. Christ's example of love and obedience in relation to the Father is a pattern 
for Christians to this day. And so the twelve and us are told twice to abide and remain in his love. Let's take another ad break. There we go. Are you doing it manually from the back? Thank you. Let's do it manually then. Thank you for that. Abide and remain in my love. You see, the message says, make yourselves at home in my love. I love that. Make yourselves at home in the very love of Jesus. And so to remain is really a prerequisite Christian experience. It's everything that we all have to have, we all have to know. It's having Christ spiritually connected to our inner lives. And to remain in Jesus' love, says George Beasley Murray, let's go to that next clip, means rejoicing in its reality, depending on its support, doing nothing to grieve it, but on the contrary, engaging in that which delights the lover. How beautiful. And so unsurprisingly, to remain in Christ further means keeping Jesus' command. And John 15 verse 10 in the New Living Translation, which is the next slide, he says the following, When you obey my commands, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love. Do you see the Trinitarian working out there, relationship? And there's the same expectation of you and I. The Father and the Son relating, and he's doing the same with us. He's saying, Exactly, just as I obeyed my Father's commands, remain His love. And so therefore, when you obey my commands, you remain in my love. Notice they obey or keep His commands. And notice that we obey and keep His commands, and this results in abiding in Christ's life. So obedience, therefore, is not just kind of a, like we would say today, a tick box exercise that we do. We've done this, we're moving on. That's not what it is. Obedience is what we owe Christ. That's a bit rough, John. Not really. We're talking about Jesus here. You owe it to him, and I owe it to him. We owe it to him. There's no getting away from this. You see, as we obey and continue to obey, we remain in his love. And so Jesus' example with his father, therefore, is to be emulated by you and I. Or put in another way, if I say obey and love, the next slide. Thank you, Sharon. Obey and love, or love and obey, they are interrelated and inseparable here. We can't say, well, the one goes this way, then the other one. If I'm doing this, then that follows. Actually, in Scripture, the way Jesus actually is portrayed by John in the Gospel, because he speaks in other places, he reverses the order. So obey and love and love and obey are so interrelated, they are inseparable here. They just go together. And so this keeping Jesus' command that leads to abiding in his love results in joy. And the joy I'm trying to talk to you about uh, and tell you about today, this is an inner supernatural and a beautiful substantial joy. Joy is generated by humans. If we can do the next slide. Thank you. Joy is not generated by humans, but a gift of the Spirit, a gift of Jesus dwelling within us. doesn't matter whether... You go on certain websites or you look at TikTok or YouTube or whatever. 
there's all these self-help things about how to make you happy, how to make you joyful. Now, is there sometimes some truth in those things? Yes. But in reality, according to Scripture, joy, biblical joy, which is different from what the world will declare, is not generated by you and I. It's a gift of the Spirit and a gift of Jesus dwelling within us. A few of you said amen. I want to go amen with that as well. Why? It doesn't depend first and foremost on me or you. It's depending on Him, the Spirit of God, and very one who we serve and worship, Jesus. And if we look at Scripture and the Gospel specifically, Jesus experienced the same joy despite His trial and suffering. And what He's saying to us, and this is what we see in the book of Acts as well, that the twelve and us will experience the same joy despite our trials and persecutions that we go through. Let's go to the next slide. Thank you. In John 15 verse 12, he says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now in John chapter 13, he said it the first time. Yeah, we have in John 15 the same thing repeated twice. Let me say it this way. Before Rana answered the call to be our pastor and lead us as a church, David preached on love. Then very interesting, last year, Rana came along, I think it was October, and he preached about loving one another. The same thing. Today I'm doing number three. Why am I saying this? I believe that the Lord is trying to bring to our attention a basic, simple, foundational truth for this church. That we need to be loving one another. Something to think about. The Lord doesn't keep saying a thing over and over and over without purpose. The purpose needs obedience. And here I'm talking firstly to me. I'm not pointing at you. I'm saying to me. And then I'm going to say to you as well. We need to be obedient because the Lord is speaking to us. And so this is the third time that this congregation, I'm not saying everyone here, but most of this congregation has heard a similar theme, and that is the love that Jesus wants us to have. Now, in this verse, in verse 12, love in Greek is in the present continuous tense. What's it saying? It's showing that there's this ongoing character of life lived among Christ's followers. That's how it's supposed to be lived. Continuous, present, not just for a moment in time, not yesterday's love. It's a thing that we live day by day. How does the Americans like to say? 24-7. Oh, some of them go 365 days in a year. There we go. So the fruit that Jesus, the true vine, expects of the branches, us, is love. He's coming to you and I. He's coming to me and he goes, where's the love? You see, the words, as I have loved you, as it says at the end of verse 12 there, reminds us of the immeasurable high standard that Jesus himself provides, and it anticipates the very next verse. Let's go to the next verse, verse 13. Thank you, Sharon. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus is really calling us to a kind of altruistic love. 
that we'll even sacrifice ourselves for the sake of Jesus' church. One thing I do like that Boris Johnson, our prime minister in the past, did during the pandemic is he called the society to an altruistic servanthood. But notice what Jesus does. He doesn't just go, yeah, I want you to be altruistic in your love. He says clearly, even to the point of sacrificing your souls for the sake of Jesus' church. The world's got a standard. Jesus' standard's way, way, way higher. You see, this call has its foundation, the self-giving sacrifice and death of Jesus upon the cross. This is how Jesus loved the twelve and us, and he proved it by laying his life down upon the cross for his friends. That's what he did. Who are Jesus' friends? Well, verse 14 says, obedience to Christ's commands defines what it means to be his friends. Let's go to the next slide, please. However, as Don Carson says, obedience is not what makes them friends. It's what characterizes his friends. It's supposed to be part of my and your DNA in the church. So if it was possible to take a DNA sample of this church, they would have to say, that's one of their characteristics. They love. We don't have to go, "Mm, we're not so sure. The DNA has been corrupted. No, no, no. What it's saying here, you're on my DNA, is clearly, evidentially love. And that's what God actually expects of us. Now, importantly to understand, this was not the 12 or our doing. Jesus changes the relationship from being servants to friends in verse 15. They were friends because he had told them everything that he had learned from his father. That's why I said in the beginning, this passion narrative, you have this whole thing where he speaks to them in private from chapter 13 to 17. That's a lot of conversation. And that's what happened there. They became friends because he told them what he had heard from his father. And so clearly there's trust. There's confidence that exists in this relationship to actually allow for such divine disclosure. Why do I say that? Jesus is very clear why he tells his message in parables. Because there are some who are inside and some who are outside. He invites everyone to be insiders, in other words, be his followers. But not everyone understands, not everyone chooses to actually follow him in that. But that is a choice that we obviously have to exercise. Now such privilege of being called by Jesus' friends could lead me, could lead you, any human, to self-gratulations and also saying to ourselves, man, it's time to be proud. Thank you, Angie. See, Christ forestalls all of this. And let's go to the next clip to understand why. He forestalls any pretensions by declaring this in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. You see, it's not what we as humans do, say, or bring to Christ that makes us Jesus' friends. Going to burst your bubble. You ain't that lovely. (laughs) Nor am I. I'm not that attractive that Jesus goes, 
Got to have that one in my fold. Got to have him. No. He doesn't go, oh, he's not here today. I can't use him as an example. Look at those muscles on that body. <laughs> oh, I need a powerful one in my kingdom. Or he looks at some woman and says, look at her great, beautiful character or her beauty. Oh, I've got to have her in my kingdom. No, it's not what we bring, not what we do, not what we say. It's not that people first chose even to follow Christ either. Christ categorically says, yeah, I chose you. Amen. He starts it. Thank you, Joe. I think I heard a voice in the back. Yeah, Joe. Thanks, Joe. He starts the process. He comes to you. Yes. We sometimes think, I found Jesus. Uh, Jesus found you ages ago. You just woke up to the reality he's been going, let me in. I want to come into your life. So Jesus chooses people and appoints us to go and bear fruit. That's what that verse says. So the church corporately and individually have been given a, a purpose of bearing fruit. Why do I say it like this? Because sometimes we like to duck responsibility. It's Ron and Becky's responsibility. It's not mine. It's them. The management committee. Do your thing. No. Biblically, it's all of us yeah. and individually. None of us can go, I'm not ticking that box. We can't say that. You see, in verse 16, the word used and translated appointed was commonly used for a specific ministry or mission, if you go and look at the Greek. And this means we can say that the fruit is firstly to win other people to the faith. Might be a surprise to you today. Sorry, did I hear that right? I'm not an evangelist. I'm not Rana. The fruit is to win others to Christ. You see, Jesus' choice and appointment is twofold. Firstly, we are to be his followers. That's what he's doing. Branches in the true vine. And secondly, it's also because he wants us to be his Witnesses. That's the designation that each and every one of us have. So if Rana wanted to, he's not going to do this as far as I know. He could print badges that goes for everyone. There you go, Carmela, witness. And there we go. And we throw these badges around. We walk around. We witnesses. <laughs> it's a joke. But in reality, it is true. We are his witnesses. We can't get away from that. So corporately and individually, we have all been appointed to tell people about Jesus who are not yet his followers. Yep. Verse 16 also tells us that this fruit is the consequence of prayer in Jesus' name. Let's go to the next slide, please. Thank you. This is from Don Carson. This suggests that the fruit in the vine imagery represents everything that is the product of effective prayer in Jesus' name, including obedience to Jesus' commands, experience of Jesus' joy, love for one another, and witness to the world. Consequently, what can we apply from John 15 to our lives today? The first is this. And let's go to the next slide. Thank you. Jesus legislated love for all Christians. Strange things to say. I've lived in a few places in the world. 
By now you know my accent. If you know me well, I'm from Africa. Can't live for 40 years in the country and think I'm going to sound like BBC English. <laughs> it's not going to work. One thing I've noticed is this applies to everyone because this is his word. So it doesn't matter your culture. It doesn't matter geographically where you live in the world. It doesn't matter whether you a male or female, your gender, it doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter your education, income, etc., etc. It is Christ's command that we love one another as he loved us. Yeah, so he's legislated that. According to remind us, John 15, 12 says, love one another. Let's go to the next slide, please, there. Don't you want to just give Sharon a clap? You don't see what she's doing. I am not joking. Sharon's most probably going to hit me after this. But she's changing the laptop, moving the thing, because John's walking again, the camera, moving, knitting, and there she goes. I'm quite impressed. And you're not an octopus. I'm very good. Well done. Well done. Did you notice love is other-focused? Yes, we can say, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Hallelujah. I sang that as a child. It stuck in my mind. And I can sing it now today. I'm not going to lead us in song. Don't have to worry, Sarah. It's okay. <laughs> but love is other focused. And so I'm going to ask you to do some exercises this morning. If I was in the gym, we're going to do lots of exercises. I'd have you do a warm-up routine or maybe get Rana to do, lead us in a warm-up routine Yeah. It's a very simple routine. I want you to exercise your neck right now and do exactly what I'm saying. So let's go. Look to the left. Everyone looking. I'm checking if everyone's looking. No ducking. That's it. Look to the right. There we go. Look forward. Look behind you. Thank you. Well done. See, the person you see is the one you're supposed to love. Amen. We sometimes go, do we want to love them? <laughs> well, according to Jesus, he took this sinner and he showed me love. And if I had to take the magnifying glass to your life, also find all the sins in the past, which is not my prerogative. He alone knows that. But he loved you. So the question is not who should we love. I did the neck exercise simply not to loosen some of you up because you looked a bit stiff. I did it so that you could understand who we are to love. Love one another. You see, Christ clearly says in chapter 15 that he loved us. And so do you see the other focus of his love? Do you see that? The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the disciples, you and me. It's other-focused. It's wonderful to experience his love, but it's given for a purpose. And that way, I would say, God's very Jewish. He's made an investment. He wants a return. I've given you love. What are you doing with it? If I can say that about God. You see, since we have received his love, we are to also be the other-focused with our love. And church, I would suggest to you, if you don't know by now, is the place where followers of Jesus are supposed to 
love one another. So in looking around, you might say to me privately, because you're very polite, you're very British, well done. One of the things I like about being British is our politeness. You might say to me in private, John, you want me to love him? You want me to love her? Then? Not pointing at anyone in particular, so don't feel I'm putting you on the spot. Really? Yes? Really? You see, there are times we are uncertain about loving others for many reasons. And I thought about mentioning all the reasons, and I suddenly realized a joke I heard many years ago from Mike Wonky, who used to say, excuses are like armpits. We all have some, and they stink. <laughs> so I dropped the excuses. Let's go to the next clip, please. But as Bruce Barton explains, in Jesus, we find both a supreme model for loving and the supreme resource. He commands us to love, and he helps us to accomplish his command. Hallelujah. You see, every Christian has been given love through the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5, 5, go and look at that on your own time. You have been given love. Fact. Full stop at the end of the ascension. No argument. So I can't go, excuse number 55, Jesus, I've got for not loving so and so. You see, your love might be small, might be underdeveloped, might need a bit of exercising, but it's just waiting to be used because the king of the universe cannot be wrong on what he has said. He said by his spirit, he has given it into your heart. He has given you love. We all know we have received love. How? Because we're born again. Those of us who sit here and follow Jesus know that we who were totally, totally not the ones supposed to be given forgiveness or love, receive love in Jesus. So we now can't say we have not received love. The question just is, what are we doing with that love? And so as we follow Christ's model, we will experience his resource of love through the Spirit, and that's what we need to do. Like you, I know it is easy to say, Jesus, I love you. Words are cheap. They're easy. We live in a day and age where words mean very little. People like to take one another to court, and then they argue about what that was meant. However, I would ask if you love Jesus, is there proof in your actions? Now we're getting a bit very honest with one another. Where's the proof? You say, and I'm pointing myself at myself first, we love each other in this congregation. Where is the proof? Exactly. Actions speak louder than words. I listen out. This morning I heard someone say in the prayer meeting how they felt loved, and my heart rejoiced because I thought, Lord, there's someone who has seen love from others in the congregation. But I look for those examples. Where are they? You and I need to ask ourselves some serious questions. Where is that love for one another? Let's go to the next slide of Thomas Hale. It says, proof of love is obedience. No good to say, mentally I affirm Jesus, or I think he's a great one, or whatever. Well, where is the proof in your life? Do you follow him? Well, then you love one another. Then you're part of a committed body. 
the church as we are in partnership together in that which the Lord's called us. So proof of love is obedience. True Christians obey Christ because they love him. If a person does not obey Christ, that means that they do not love Christ. You don't believe me? Go and look at 1 John. Thus I would have to say that love without obedience is fake love. Not good. Let's go to the next slide. I want to urge you today to make love a goal of your Christian maturity. I hope this is one of the things in your life, spiritually, you want to become mature. No one wants to see, I'm sure you don't want your little girls to always be the age they are. Yeah. Every parent looks at their children and says, I want you to grow up. And then, thank God, they're out of the house. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I know some of you have said that to me. But I do know you love your children, so that's not a question. You just need a break sometimes. You want them to grow up. I'm hoping that this is your goal too. Make love a goal of your Christian maturity. You see, a love to me is a sure sign of maturity. Let's go to the next clip. Frederica Matievus Green says this, the main evidence that we are growing in Christ is not exhilarating prayer experiences, but steadily increasing humble love for other people. Now, I was raised in the church. I was not a Christian. For many years, my parents carefully and wonderfully at times shared the gospel with us. Not every day or every week, but when it was the appropriate moment, we, my brother and I, so I've got a younger brother, knew we were lost and we were not part of his fold because we had parents that showed us from Scripture where we need to be and it was our decision. But one of the things is in growing up in the church, I have heard so many so-called definitions of ma what maturity is. One of the ones that I frequently hear with charismatic or Pentecostal Christians is it's the miraculous, it's prophecy, any of the spiritual gifts. Now, I desire the spiritual gifts. I don't know about you. I do what Paul says. I desire them. But that doesn't make us mature. None of these things, as wonderful as these gifts are, it's clear from Scripture, God's desire is that in our DNA is that we should love one another. That's what this is about. It's not about all these other things that we think are so important. Sometimes we as Christians, and I've heard this in town, I've gone to visit in various places. I don't want to give it away. But I've been to places where the first thing a Christian says to me, we have healings in our service. <laughs> or we experience the miraculous. And I go, well, praise God. But then I think, do you love one another? On the last day, there will be people who say they've cast out demons. And the Bible's clear, I did not know you. What? There is no relationship with you. God does not know you. And this is the thing. One of the things that we should be known about is our love. We, we are to imitate Jesus. Christ's love poured into us by the Holy Spirit is also very practical. Abiding in his love stands opposed to the world where it's mostly about self and the tyranny of self-love, as Bruce Barton calls it. You see, Jesus actively works in our lives against putting self always first 
or the dominion of self-love. He helps us to focus on others. Now, this was my challenge I experienced when I was in my early 20s. I noticed that frequently, let's go to the next slide, please. Thank you. My conversations with people were self-focus and self-love was the norm. That's what I did. Now, you know the scenario. Someone tells you about what's happening in their life, good or bad, and what do you do? This is what I did. I turned around and told them how bad it is for me and how good it is for me because it's about me. That's what we're saying in the conversation. It's different when Angie says to me, John, what about you? What's happening? And I'll start talking about it. But when Angie's telling me her story and I suddenly go, yeah, 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 but I want to tell you, it's so bad in this or it's so good in that, and off and off we go. What is that? Self-focused, self-love. I have not understood that love is about focusing on the other. So subsequently, I want to suggest this to you. I use the five fingers of my hand as a way of focusing on others rather than myself. Sounds very strange, John. What are we doing today? I would do this. I'm going to turn around. I'd be speaking to someone none of you know, Casimir Nglobu. He's Mauritian African. Use my five fingers. And I purposely would start counting. I asked them one question, two questions, all about them, not about me. Three questions. I asked them four questions, five questions. Then only I would allow myself to speak about me. What am I trying to say to you? I'm trying to suggest, with the Holy Spirit's help, change your conversations so that it's other focused with love. What about your actions? Let's go to the next slide. Are your actions filled with Christ's love? You see, if I took a magnifying glass to your life, what would I see? Are you using your time, your gifts, your talents, money, home, car, mobile, laptop, etc., to love God, to love His people, to show them that love? Are you serving the church in love through all that you've been given stewardship of? Or is it just about your self-love? Let's go to the next slide. Jesus called the twelve and us, by implication, His friends. Now, Abraham and Moses were called friends of God. That's what the Old Testament teaches us. So to read that Christ called his disciples friends, for me, is unusual and marvelous. It speaks of an honest relationship, uh, not just honest, but a highest relationship possible between God and people. And verse 14 made it plain that Jesus' friends are those who do what he commands. And personally, when I think about it, I think it's rather shocking, bewildering, and joyful to hear that Jesus actually says to his disciples, you are my friends. But a corrective is necessary here. Today in 2024, mutual reciprocal relationships is the norm. For some, it seems that Jesus is our friend. Jesus, you're my friend. He's my bro. We hang out together. He's my mate. But his friendship is not reciprocal. You see, you and I cannot thank Jesus for friendship and then tell him he is your, my friend, if he does everything that we command him 
to do, because that's what you're saying. Jesus is my friend. You see, the New Testament is emphatic. It only records Jesus calling the 12 and Lazarus friends. They never called Jesus friend. Notice the difference. Let's go to the next slide, please. Neither in the Old Testament nor in the New Testament is God or Jesus referred to as friend of humans in the manner of the gospel song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I've sung that many times. Go and look at the words. It doesn't exist in Scripture. You see, as Gerald points out, that would be seen by the biblical authors as too debasing for Jesus. John and the other 11 understood that Jesus was not immortal, just like they were. Yes, he was 100% the Son of God, 100% man within one, unmixed in his very nature. True. But he was not like them. John understood who is the true vine and who are the branches, and he never got it confused, and nor should we. Lastly, let's go to the last slide there. Jesus chose us and appoints us to go and bear fruit I be his witnesses. Next one by Thomas Hale, please. Thank you, Sharon. Every Christian has been appointed to go and bear fruit. We may not be called to go far away, but we are all called to go at least to our own family and to our own neighbors. Well, Paul, you are called far away. So some of you have been called to go very far. But most of us not. We are called... And that is every Christian is to be a witness for Jesus. Let me end this in conclusion. I started with the African church, Father Tertullian, who was converted because he saw that the way the church loved one another. Would he say the same, observing Lighthouse? Would Tertullian become born again, a follower of Jesus, when he looked at us? And here I'm going, us, pointing at myself. You see, Christ's love, not arguments, won him over. And so in the light of Christ's love, let's first, let's go to the next slide, please. Thank you. Let's remain in Jesus' love, rejoicing in its reality, depending on its support, and engaging in that which delights him. The next slide. Thank you. As we obey and continue to obey Christ, we are to remain in his love. And then the next slide says the ongoing fabric of life lived among Christian followers is to be found in loving one another. It's supposed to be our DNA. Next slide. We are friends. We are Jesus' friends as we obey him. And then remember the last one point I want to reiterate. Jesus chose and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and be his witnesses. So my exhortation, encouragement to you and to me, to all of us today is this. Let's love one another. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Paul.